Hello and welcome to a time of edification with Caruso Ministry. Get ready to be edified and equipped to edify others. Ready? Let's begin. We are um, on our series, Tongues by the Spirit. This is the ninth track of the series, uh, Tongues by the Spirit. And um, so far, we've been looking at, uh, at least recently, we have been looking at the interaction or the interplay between <clears throat> between the Holy Ghost, all right, the Holy Ghost and the believer. We've been trying to understand better still what points or better still the play or where the Holy Ghost comes to play as regards the salvation of a believer. You know, and you need to understand why this is a very important subject to cover. Because you see, most of the time, a lot of people come a lot of people have come to believe that when we talk about the Holy Ghost or the Holy Spirit and the believer, we're referring to something that the believer has after the resurrection. All right. Some people believe that it is something that just very serious believers have. Some people believe that it's something that only believers who are probably called to the work of the ministry have. All right. And, and by the work of ministry, I mean maybe um the um the ministry gifts, right? Um so different people have different um attractions really that they have when it comes to the holy spirit and the believer and so just barely understanding the influence of the holy spirit in the salvation of the believer will give you a much more rounded idea into number one the um purview of the people involved when we talk about the activity of the spirit and also importantly, all right, it's also going to give you a much more solid understanding of how we should think about the activities of the spirit. And so what I'm saying, I'm going to say that in a much more easier way. What I'm just saying basically is this is if we find out from scripture that the activity of the spirit has to do with um something foundational or fundamental for every believer, what that would mean is therefore that the activities of the spirit would also have to involve every believer that's simply what it is all right even we find out that the activity of the spirit or what the spirit does is only important in the life of a certain amount of believers a certain number of believers what that would also mean all right would be on the long run would be that the activities of the spirit as well would be one that we would only find among those set of individuals and so that's the reason why this particular topic is very important, all right? Because as we study and we find out, all right, and I mean, from the study we've done so far, we've come to see, for example, um, in, our, in our first uh, in our study of the first mention of the word spirit, by looking at Genesis 1 and verse 3, and then by Corporation 7, Corporation 4 and verse 6, we've come to see that the first activity of the spirit, like from verse 3 to verse 6, all right, we've come to see that the first activity of the spirit really in the Bible was as regards salvation. And so if the first activity of the spirit in the Bible was as regards salvation, that would mean, all right, that and if we come to see, of course, sorry, that the activity of the spirit, all right, is as regards salvation in the believer, that would mean that the activity of the spirit cannot be specific to certain people, all right, but that the activity of the spirit is for as many as possible, because it is it has to do with salvation. And since salvation is open to every man, it would mean the activity of the spirit really is actually open to every man. Now, of course, some people have not come to receive that activity of the Spirit. That is the reason why they are not here. But in reality, the activity of the Spirit through salvation is open to every man. 
All right. For example, you see the Bible says um, in John 3 verse 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes will not perish, but have eternal life. So whosoever believes will not perish. They will have eternal life. Whosoever. So mean whosoever can have um can have the the ability in that sense to receive of the provision of the spirit whosoever first much of that two from and verse four all right who will have all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth who will have all men to be saved right so all men to be saved so you see that also that provision of the spiritual salvation for all men for all men titus 2 and verse 11 the grace of god that brings salvation has appeared unto all men so once again, a provision of salvation to all men. So when you when you hear all right about the activity of the spirit, first and foremost, before you begin to think about the gifts of the spirit, the fruits of the spirit, and so on and so forth, the fundamental activity of the spirit that must come to your mind is salvation. Is salvation because that's really where it starts from. You see, you cannot have, and this is something that you must know. You cannot have an activity, particularly, I mean for the new creation after jesus christ has died you cannot have an activity of the spirit that is outside that fundamental activity which is salvation you can't what you'll be seeing in this play is an activity of another spirit but when you refer to activities of the holy ghost they are premised fundamentally on the first activity of the spirit in the man in christ which is salvation so every other activity of the spirit you are going to find subsequently will always be premised on that first activity, which is to bring that man into salvation. Hallelujah. To bring that man into salvation. So these are basic things you need to understand. I mean, in the Old Testament, we saw activities of the Spirit that were separate from salvation, of course, because Jesus Christ had not yet come to die. But because Jesus Christ had not yet come to die, we see what, what people fundamentally call the Spirit upon, which is activities of the Spirit through men, things that men did. All right, and even then, it wasn't necessarily something that was open to everybody. You would only see that activity through, for example, prophets, through kings, and through priests. And then a select few, and a select few who always had, you know, an assignment to the nation of Israel or, you know, to some other nation as well. But in the new creation, what you see is that the activity of the spirit is first of all. All right, which is salvation fundamentally, the first activity of the spirit is salvation, is fundamentally for everyone. And when a man comes to receive of that provision through the spirit, which is salvation, he now has access. He has both legal and active access to the flow of the things of the spirit as regards other things. So because the man has received, all right, because he has received the activity of the spirit in salvation, he now has the opportunity to flow, or he now has the opportunity or the access to every other activity of the spirit, basically, which we call the gifts and the fruits of the spirit, fundamentally because he first has access to that phase by salvation. So it's that's why we've been doing what we've been doing so far. We've been doing it so far so that you understand that the subject of salvation is a subject of the spirit. Because you see, a lot of times the mindset that believers have towards salvation clearly tells you they really do not understand what salvation is. Now, a lot of people, the way people see salvation, a lot of people is, they see it as a stage in their life where they became serious with their lives. All right? So you hear people say, for example, when they're talking about major milestones in their life, all right, maybe they talk about, for example, like, you know, at the age of, um, I don't know, at the age of maybe 18, 19, you know, I, I finished from secondary school, 
um, I got into the university as age of, age of 20 or 21, all right, and then, you know, at the age of 22, I, I became serious with my life and I became a Christian. That, you know, that's not really, you know, salvation is not some milestone as it were in your life. Now, I mean, maybe we're just talking about it naturally. Now, that's fine, all right? But you see, salvation is a birthing into life. That's what salvation is. Salvation is akin to you were not existing before, now you are. That was salvation. It's a burden into life. I'll show you guys again and again. Ephesians 2 from verse 1. You are the quickened who were dead in sins and trespasses, in which, in, in, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the, children, the spirit that now get in the children of disobedience. So you need to realize what this is. Okay? It's not some, um, it's not that you, you know, you were um, a bad boy before and then your life got converted and then you, you now became a good boy. Now, of course, salvation produces that effect. But it is salvation is fundamentally the bringing to life of a man who never existed before. Because according to scriptures, a man who does not have Christ is dead. So you need to understand, a man who does not have Christ is dead. So he never existed. That's what it is. So it's not just, you know, some random thing here and there. No, it is clear what it is. He didn't exist before and then he was born into life. That's what salvation is. And so when you understand that salvation is a blessing into life, you now also understand why an agency had to be involved in bringing a dead man to life, in bringing something that did not exist, why don't you use it that way, to life. An agency had to be involved. For example, you can see how a child is born, for example. A child is born because two humans come together, all right, and then, you know, perform an activity together and then have a child. So the agency for, because you need to understand, this is a breathing active child, all right? So the agency for that life is that two people with life came together. And that's such a beautiful work of God. I'm telling you, even just saying it alone, I have choose on my body, that two active humans or two human beings can come together, two people with life can come together and bring forth another being with life that can sustain itself over years. Powerful, I'm telling you. But you see, that's more or less what we see in salvation, that something that was not existing, or maybe something that was dead, it was lifeless, no life. And there is an activity on that particular thing, and it jerks up to life. Now, not just does it just jerk up to life or spark up to life for a second. That life now begins to sustain it for as long as possible, actually for eternity. That's what you have in salvation. And so the activity or the agency by which that spiritually dead man was raised to life, all right, is what we actually call the activity of the power or the activity of the Holy Ghost. Open your Bible to Romans 8 and verse 11. Romans 8 and verse 11, yes. Romans 8 and verse 11. Romans 8 and verse 11. It says, and if the spirit that raised up Jesus from the dead dwells in you, it says that same spirit will quicken your mortal bodies by his spirit that dwells in you. All right, now pay attention to that. The same spirit that raised Christ up from the dead, that raised Christ up from the dead. So, in other words, when we see salvation, now don't forget, first of all, that what salvation is, is receiving of the provision that Christ had made available. And how did he do that? He did it in his death, in his burial, and resurrection. That says in 1 Corinthians 15, all right, from verse 1, when we read verse 1 to 4, okay, it speaks about declaring the gospel of Christ, which the Corinthians had received. When in the standard by which also they were saved, all right, he now goes on to say that he declares unto them first all that which they also received how that Christ died for their sins according to the scriptures, 
that he was buried and that he rose, he rose again the third day according to the scriptures all right so we see that the details of the gospel by which salvation was made available is the death the burial and the resurrection now as we also do our study through scripture we begin to realize okay that that activity of the death, burial, and resurrection, now pay attention, please, was made available because of the agency of God's power. Because of the agency of God's power, which is also the agency of God's spirit. Because don't forget, in Romans 8 and verse 11, it tells us that it was the spirit of it was the spirit of God that raised up Jesus from the dead. But however, when you look at Ephesians 1 and verse 19, Ephesians 1 and verse 19 will tell you that it was the power of God that raised up Jesus from the dead. Go to Ephesians 1 and verse 19. Go to Ephesians 1 and verse 19. Oh, glory to God. Ephesians 1 and verse 19. He says, And what is the exceeding greatness of his power to us who world who believe, according to the working of his mighty power, which he wrought in Christ. Now pay attention to that. So according to the working of his mighty power, which he wrought in Christ, when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places. He says, Power above all, prescribes and powers and might and dominion, and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come. Ah, yeah. Praise God. And so what you see is that in the raising up of Jesus from the dead, we also see an activity of the spirits, which is an activity of power. You know, oftentimes I know people think that the spirit of God is given from the power of God. No. No, you see, the presence of the Spirit of God, all right, is the power of God. In fact, the Spirit of God really is the power of God. The Spirit of God is the power by which God does things. You need to realize this. So, the Spirit, pay attention to this. The Spirit does not produce power. The Spirit is the power. The Spirit is the power. Because you see that in one reference, it tells you that, you know, the Spirit of the Spirit of Christ or the Spirit of God raised up Jesus from the dead. In Ephesians 1 and verse 19, it tells you the power of God raised up Jesus from the dead. So, who did what? It's the same. The Spirit of God is the power of God. And that's the reason why you see that it said in Acts chapter 1 verse 8, you shall receive power after the Holy, after that the Holy Ghost is come upon you. So, the moment the Holy Ghost comes upon you, that is your reception of power. That's it. So the power is not different from the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost is the power. Oh, yeah. The Holy Ghost is the power. I'm telling you. So, in other words, I feel like I'm going to a lot of places. Pay attention to this. That would mean that when... So so now, pay attention to Ephesians 1 and verse 19. When it says, what is the exceeding greatness of his power to us who do believe? According to the working of his mighty power, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead, and set him at his own right hand in every place. Now, so that working of power, pay attention, that working of power was such that he raised Jesus from the dead. Now, he did not raise him more. And this is why you need to understand how powerful this power is. If all the power did was to just raise up Jesus from the dead for one second, and then Jesus goes back, and Jesus dies back, that's something. Don't let me lie to you, it's something. If, if the power rose up Jesus from the dead and made him alive for like about uh, maybe some five years, that's huge. But you see, a power that can raise up a man from the grave and not just raise him up, but sustain him for all eternity. My God, that's super power. That's super power right there. And you see, that's exactly what happened to the man in Christ. Now, do not forget, as I've said before, that the power is the spirit. You know, so in other words, eh, when you see the activity of God that raises a man from the dead, and I mean from spiritual death into his into spiritual life. Now, it doesn't just raise him. It also sustains him for all eternity. That's the life. Sustains him for all eternity. 
So, in other words, the spirit of God does not just raise a man from the from spiritual death into spiritual life. That same spirit is what sustains the man toward eternity. And that's why the Bible now will tell you in Ephesians chapter 1 verse 16, having told you how to receive the spirit because you were saved or because you believed, he now tells you verse 14, which is the seal of your inheritance until the redemption of the possession. So it tells you that spirit is the seal of your inheritance. It's, it's, it's the, spirit, the spirit is the seal that we know that you are saved. Because, you know, that's the reason why you can tell that. A lot of people really don't understand what the spirit of God is. They think it's an extra package from salvation. And that's the reason why you hear people say things like, you know, when a believer does this, the spirit of God lives in, all right? And then other spirit of God has proved that things to know that he's really sorry for what he did. The spirit of God comes back. They don't understand the meaning of what they are saying. If, if, if the spirit of God ever lets a believer, the believer no longer exists. <laughs> it's not, you can't have a believer outside the Holy Ghost. That's what I want you to think into your mind. The believer cannot exist outside the Holy Ghost. It's very sustenance. It's the Holy Ghost. It's like, say, for example, that, you know, maybe when somebody does something, the breath of life, which, what we call the breath of life, really, is just what makes a man live, all right? And then we say, it's just like saying the breath of life leaves the man and looks at him and tries to see if he will change. You've got it wrong. Once the breath of life leaves a man, he no longer exists. He's now dead. That's really what the Holy Ghost is. So to say that the Holy Ghost leaves at some point and comes back at some point is literally saying the believer is spiritually dead again. That's what you're saying right there. And that is a, that is a fallacy to the work of, to God's work. A major fallacy to God's work. What you just said is that God's work is not forever. That's what you just said there. And do not forget, when Jesus was speaking about his another comfort, he says he will abide with you forever. Now, do not forget all right, that according to that portion of scripture, all right, Jesus was actually speaking about the residence of the Holy Spirit in them. I mean, we did a very exhausting study on this, you know, last week and then last week. So I'm not going to you know, go in depth with it again because of time. All right, we did a very exhaustive study on this where we try to understand when Jesus said, you know, um, from in John 16, I will pray the Father that He will give you another comforter. He said that He may abide with you forever. He said, The Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive. Because it neither sees him nor know him. He says, but you know him, for he dwells with you, and he will be in you. Glory to God. He says he will be in you. Okay? He will be in you. Now, look at what he now says. He says um, that that particular spirit of truth, he will abide with you forever. And by the with that, we have a much more clearer understanding that the spirit will be given to them, in them. So the with really doesn't mean around. Because all the time we hear about the Spirit of God being given forever, the thing is that the Spirit of God will be around on the earth forever. No. The reason the Spirit of God exists on the earth in the first place is because of the activity within the believer. You need to understand. The Spirit of God was not made to be to just be floating around. It's not angels. It's angels that can be walking around and stuff like that. The Spirit of God is not just a random ghost that wears white and is just floating around you everywhere you go. No. The Spirit of God was made to indwell man. So the Spirit of God doesn't just, because when people hear about, you know, God giving the Spirit forever, they think that needs dispensation, the Spirit of God is just moving around here and there, trying to look at who he can enter. No, that's not it. If, you need to understand, if there was no single believer on the earth, the Spirit of God would not exist on the earth. It won't. You, you need to be very, very clear. It won't exist. The reason the Spirit of God exists upon the earth, all right, is simply because the Spirit of God is indwelling believers. Inside man, so the spirit of God simply was made. It was that one in the real sense. The what 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 we call the spirit of God really is the activity of God through men. 
or the activity of God upon the earth. I feel like I'm going to love the God of things right now, but just pay attention, all right? Because you need to understand. In fact, let me just say this because I mean, a lot of times you hear people about the Trinity, the Trinity, the Trinity. Pay attention to something. You see, what we call the Trinity, what we call the Trinity actually is manifestations of God that are because of man. Pay attention to that, and I'm going to explain what I'm saying. What we call the Trinity are manifestations of God primarily because of man, or because of the activities of man. Now, if you pay attention, of course, we have God the Father, and that's God, very clearly. All right. Now, pay attention to God the Son. Do you realize that the only reason we have God the Son, who is Jesus, is actually because God came as a man to save man. So you need, you need to understand, God the Son did not come about, who is Jesus. He didn't come about because God was thinking of a way he can flex his power. And then God said, you know what, I'm just going to come as a man, so people will know. The primary reason we see God as a man is to save man from sin. So, God as a man exists because of man. Bible says in Hebrews chapter 2, all right, in Hebrews chapter 2, it says, For it became him for whom are all things and by whom are all things in bringing many sons to glory, all right, to make the captain of their salvation perfect through suffering. Go to Hebrews 2. Let's go there. Let me show you that. I don't want to quote too many things. Hebrews 2, I understand. Right. I mean, I've been saying for a very long time that I was going to talk about this subject of Trinity, so I'm as well just touching now. Hebrews 2, I understand. Because not exhaustively, but I'm just going to say some things to keep it keep it straight. Hebrews 2, I understand. Now, pay attention. Uh, it says, For it became him, for whom are all things, and by whom are all things, in bringing many souls to glory, to make the captive of their salvation perfect through suffering. All right. Now, go to verse 14. Verse 14. He says, For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him that have the power of death, that is the devil. So what you see is, Jesus had to come as a man so that he could die like a man, so that through death he could destroy or abolish the authority of him who had the power over death, that is the devil. So God came as a man simply so that he could die as a man. So, because by him dying as a man was the only way he could do what? At least the only way that he showed us, right? That he could tarnish the authority of the one who had power over death, who was the devil. So, when we see God as a man, God came solely as a came as a man solely because of man, not for any other reason. God didn't come as a man just to flex himself or to show power, or because you know he was part of heaven, he felt like knowing what earth was like. So, and stuff like that, and so he just showed up on the earth. No, that's not what it is. It is very clear they are different. God came as a man upon the earth solely because of man to save man from sin. And oh, now that's that's God the Son. Now, God the Holy Spirit. Now, pay attention. Do you realize that every time when you find activity or when you find the spirits in scripture, it would always, particularly from the Old Testament. It would always refer to activities of God influencing man. Activities of God upon the earth. Activities of God influencing man. Every place where you find the, the Spirit of God. That's why in the Old Testament, you find, for example, it says, you say the Spirit of God came upon him, the Spirit of God was upon him, and so on and so forth. And he did this. The Spirit of God was upon him and he did this. The Spirit of God was upon him and he did this. In fact, James chapter 1 verse 3 is at least the only place where you would actually find the Spirit of God acting independently. From a man, like literally, that the spirit of God by itself was doing something. Most of the time, you would find the spirit of God 
coming upon men to do things. And in fact, if you agree up at this place of our study so far, all right, on really what the spirit of God in Genesis 1 3 was, you'd realize also that the spirit of God in Genesis 1 3 was referring to an activity that was going to be performed through men. Because as we've seen in our, in our study so far, the spirit of the, the first mention of the spirit of God was as regards salvation for all mankind. So, in the real sense of it, what we call what we call the spirit of God really is referring to activities of God upon the earth, oftentimes through men. So, at the end of the day, the Trinity is centered around man. It's centered around man. It is expressions of God that we see, all right, solely because of man. Because that question you need to ask yourself, I remember I've asked this question before, all right, to a couple of you. I said, you see, Bible tells us in John 4, and this was Jesus that was speaking. In John 4, verse 24, he said, God is in spirit, and they that worship him was worshiping in spirit and in truth. You see, in the scriptures, okay, you will find that what was used for spirit, or the, the meaning of spirit in scripture, is not entirely the same, all right, as what we have today. It's not the same as what we have today. They, they, it varies, okay? So, and, and I mean, that's where I'm always talking about cultural context. You're always understanding the way words are used within the context of that scripture and also within the context of that culture, all right? So, for example, when he says in, in John 4, when he was referring to the woman, he was trying to explain how God is unseen. Because really, in the New Testament, when your spirit is new man, it oftentimes refers to wind, all right, or hair. Or what is unseen, pretty much. And what we're trying to say there is, see, this God is not seen, is unseen. And so the way you worship him has to do with something that is unseen, all right, and in its reality. That was what Jesus was trying to communicate with the one in John 4. He did the same thing too with you know Nicodemus in John 3. When he said, when he spoke about you know being born again as being born of the spirit, okay, and then he said that um um the the, the wind blows where it listed. But no man knows where it comes from, where it goes to. And he says, so is a man who is born of the spirit. And what I was trying to say there is this, is, is that you can't really use your mind to discern a man who is born of the spirit. You can't just use your mind to reason him out. There's something about him that cannot be understood from any perspective. And so by that also, he was trying to explain how the, you know, how unseen to the human eye, a man who is of the spirit is. So in the New Testament, largely, I mean, there are different places where the Spirit of God was used, and it always was trying to convey different things, okay? But now, when you go to the Old Testament, really, the word Spirit in the Old Testament, and I can't remember exactly the Hebrew word for it, but oftentimes it was used to refer to the essence of God. And by essence, I mean, it is that thing by which you know that this is an activity of God. So now, pay attention. Do you realize that every time when, and I already you realize that every time when you see people call the Spirit of God in Scripture, particularly in the Old Testament, it, they didn't say it's because they actually saw the Spirit of God. What they often saw was an activity that they ascribed to be of God, and they now did what? They, 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 they commended that activity to be by the Spirit of God. So, for example, Elijah ran faster than Elijah. Now, if you were the person who recorded that portion of scripture, that Elijah ran faster than the chariots, now, what you would have seen, you didn't see the Spirit of God coming upon Elijah. What you saw was Elijah running faster than the chariots. But because you saw Elijah running faster than the chariots, you would then say that, oh, this is the activity of God. And what it means is that the Spirit of God must have come upon Elijah. So it wasn't even necessarily that it was God who said that his Spirit came upon Elijah. Even though I mean, uh, so in subsequent parts of the Old Testament, you're not begin, begin to see prophecies about God pouring out his spirit upon all flesh and stuff like that. All right. 
Now, we get to see that over time. But you see, the times when the Spirit was initially mentioned in the Old Testament, it was actually referring to activities of man that were beyond the ordinary. And that people now ascribe to God. And this is, in fact, the reason why I told you, and I said it in the late last week, that when we therefore study scriptures, you must understand this that in largely a lot of things that people said in the Old Testament was not the thing, a lot of things that people said in the Old Testament, all right, was not by revelation, it was by observation. They saw things, and because of the things they saw, they said certain things. So they see an activity that is beyond man, beyond the ordinary. They don't even know whether it is from God or from a demon because they just see that it is super supernatural, it is not normal. They are claiming to God, and because it is God, they now say it is the spirit of God upon that man that made him do what he did. Because I mean, to say that God came into that man is a big way. So, what you say is the essence of God. So, forget spirit as ghost, that's the problem. You always be seeing spirit so far as ghost. Spirit is not ghost. Spirit in, would refer to the essence, meaning that thing by which we know God is working with you. That's really the spirit. So when you see spirit of God in the Old Testament, what it actually is referring to most of the time is an activity of God through men or an activity of God with men upon the earth. Upon the earth. That's the reason why you would almost never find the spirit of God stand alone. It would always have an activity with or around men upon the earth, particularly the Old Testament. So, every, so pay attention to this. Every time when you see the spirit of God mentioned in the Old Testament, always pay attention to the fact that that activity or that presence of the spirit of god was always known because something happened so because something happened they will now say oh the spirit of god was upon this man and did so for example you see um what's his name now something all right when he lifted up the gates of an entire city bible says the spirit of god was upon him and he lifted up the gates of a city now attention to that what would have happened is whoever was recording clearly did not see the spirit of god he didn't have uh, supernatural eyes to see. No. He only had natural eyes. So what he would have seen was he would have just seen Samson raise up the gates of the city. But because he saw superhuman strength in Samson, he would have said to himself, oh, that is an activity of God. It has to be the Spirit of God in him or the Spirit of God upon him. So you need to understand these things and where they differ. Okay? So I want to explain everything I've said so far. I got a few of those things to let you see that when we speak of the Spirit of God, really, what we actually are speaking of is an activity of God through man, upon man, or around man. But you see, the Spirit of God only exists, really, because of man. Because God himself is self-sufficient. He doesn't need to have a spirit to do what he wants to do. And do you realize, God, do you realize that when we say the Spirit of God, that would mean that statement, Spirit of God, Came to be really because of men. Came to be because, as I've told you before, God is a spirit. John 4 and 24. So when you say the spirit of God, you are really what you are really saying is the spirit of the spirit. But really, what the spirit of God is basically an activity of God upon the earth through men, around men, or upon men. So really, pay attention to this now and pay attention very closely. This would mean that really. Pay attention, please. I don't want to lose you here. This would mean that really what we call the Spirit of God will not really be a separate entity, but rather an activity of God that we ascribe to God. So, now this is what I'm trying to say. As I've said so far, so good. And that's why this is a build-up. 
You cannot have the spirit of God as the spirit of a spirit. There is only one God that exists. There is only one spirit that exists. Spirit of God. Is not God then the spirit of his spirit? No. We know God the Father. What we believe to be the spirit of God is an activity of God through men, in men, around men. But basically, any activity of God that has to do with men is what we ascribe to the spirit of God. What that would mean really is that the spirit of God and God are one and the same. When we only talk about the spirit is when the activity of man that is superhuman comes to play. Because, pay attention, if we never spoke, pay attention to this, if you look at the Old Testament, having seen that what we call the spirit of God is, is primarily or pretty much activities of God around men or in the sphere of men, what this would actually mean is that if man never existed, we would really never have the reason to speak about spirit of God. Because when we speak of spirit of God, it is fundamentally activities of God through men. So the spirit of God, that phrase, spirit of God, really only comes to play because of men. Same as God in man only comes to play because of men. If men never existed, God would have never had any reason to come as a man to save man. So in other words, what we call the Trinity is God's existence predicated upon the influence or the activities of men. God as a man coming to man to die for man. The spirit of God being activities of God upon the earth, all right, influencing man's activities that men now ascribe to the essence of God. I really hope I've not lost you. I really, really hope so. But I just have to explain it that way. Okay, so in the Trinity, and that's why it's, it is... The Trinity is one and the same. It is just expressions of God in forms, in different ways. So we have God the Father, whom we believe to be the creator of all things, all right, the head of all things, the, the king of all things, is the one who created all things, and is the one we worship, all right? We have God as a man who came to save man from sin, which as we've seen from scripture, you know, previously, I mean, before now, is God, is still God, but as a man. And we now, we now also have the Spirit of God, which, pay attention, is not a lesser God. Just as Jesus is not a lesser God. The Spirit of God is not a lesser God. He's not a smaller God. He's not a less busier God. Alright? It is just really, based on the things we've seen so far, the Spirit of God is that activity of God through men or around men on the earth. So in the Old Testament, when when you see spirit of God, as I've said it again and again and again, but I'm saying it again so that you understand. When we say spirit of God in the Old Testament, it's not like people really saw spirit of God. They didn't see any spirit of God. What they saw was activities of super superhuman or supernatural or supernormal activities upon the earth. And because of what they saw, they said, they, they said, oh, this has to be an activity of God on the earth. And because they believed that this was an activity of God on the earth, they now said, you know what? The spirit of God. So forget what you've always thought as spirit being ghost. Forget that one. That, that kind of was also causing issues with you. Remove that spirit as being ghost in your mind. See spirit as essence. Essence. That thing by which we know God was involved in this activity. So when you see spirit as that, it now changes your ideology to see, oh, no wonder they call this spirit of God. Because they saw activities that were beyond the natural, believed that God was involved, and now that, oh, the spirit of God came upon this man. 
So they didn't really see a spirit come upon. It's just like really what we call the spirit of God indwelling the believer today, or the spirit of God being inside the believer. Sure, you know, if you cut the believer open, and I explained this thing when I was in school. If you cut the believer open today and say, Oh, you want to see the spirit of God in him, you won't see anything inside. The only thing you see is you know, so on and so forth. You won't really see, you won't, in fact, it's not you won't really, you won't see the spirit of God inside him. You won't. And it's not like you'll cut him open and breathe just blow. Not the ah, spirit of God was really this guy, but because I mean he's a spirit, we cannot see it. That will not see it. If you call him that open, you won't see anything, you won't sense anything, you won't know anything. That's why you cannot tell that somebody is a believer at the operating table. Just that because something about his inside that different. No, at all. Except if you can descend by the Holy Ghost, that's the only way. But you see, the only way you would the, what we call the spirit of God indwelling the believer today, really, is that. God and that believer are in a union. It's not really that there's a spirit inside the believer, like physically inside. No. It is actually that a God that exists beyond human sphere is actually in union with a human. That is what we call the spirit of God in, inside the believer. So you don't understand because we use the word spirit inside or spirit of God in. Don't now be thinking it is actually in. Because there's still a way we can see those things that way. Don't be thinking by, by we saying the spirit of God is in the believer or it's indoors the believer or the spirit of God is present within the believer. Don't want to be thinking there's actually something inside the believer, like inside some, so, some human being dwelling within the crevices of his body. No, that's not what we are saying. The spirit of God being in a believer just simply means that God, pay attention, is in union with that believer. And so there is something about this believer that is not normal. Are we together? And so those activities, those things about this person or this human being that are not normal can be ascribed to the essence of God being active within this person. That is the spirit of God. I really hope I've not confused you. So after that, you just say one simple thing that what we call the spirit of God only exists because of his activity in the plane around the sphere of man's influence. God as a man, because of man, to die for man. God as a spirit, activities of God in man's influence or in man's sphere of influence. Simple. So, why is that telling I said so far? The Trinity, or what we call the Trinity, is predicated upon man. It would not be a stretch to say this. If man never existed, there would have never been a reason for the Trinity. Never. Because what would the Trinity have been for? God is self-sufficient. God is self-sustaining. God doesn't need the Trinity to be God. No, He's God. The only reason we understand or we have the Trinity is simply because of man. Because one is there to save man. That's God the Son. Of course, there has always been God the Father. And one is there as an activity of God upon the earth, upon the sphere of man's influence, which is what? The Spirit. Now, that's that. Now, let's go back to what, we, you know, what we're teaching <clears throat> so far. Now, I said... I, what I was teaching so far, in fact, was I was trying to explain, all right, um, about the activity of the Spirit upon the earth. I was trying to explain how basic or foundational the activity of the Spirit is in salvation, okay? And I was trying to explain how that, you see, the Spirit of God is for every man in Christ Jesus. Every man in Christ Jesus. And so, when we understand about the Spirit of God being for every man in Christ Jesus, we would understand that conversations surrounding the Spirit will be for every believer. Will be for every believer, and that's the reason you see you, you need to understand the destructive effect of certain teaching by you teaching that certain people have the spirit of God in them, 
All right. Not all believers have the spirit of God in them. What you just did without knowing, oftentimes unintentionally, is that you just placed a barrier on the the kind of experiences that people can have with God. Because what you just told them at that point in time is there are certain things about God you will never really be able to do. Things about God you will never really be able to touch. All right, you know, you know, so on and so forth. Simply because you do not have access to that spirit here. Well, that's not true. And you know, that's why I try to explain so far what it actually means to be saved. It means literally your breath of life as a human being is synonymous to the spirit of God to the believer. As I said before, if the breath of life leaves you today, you can't say that you still exist, but without the breath of life. No, you are dead. You no longer exist anymore. That's simply the way the Spirit of God is. So say the Spirit of God will leave the believer sometimes and will come back to the believer sometimes is a problem. That believer no, no longer exists. He only exists because the Spirit of God is there. Once the Spirit of God goes, he is no longer, he is now dead. That's what he is. Jesus, so you need to understand the meaning of what you are saying when you say certain things. And as I said before, that's because people really don't understand how important the Spirit of God is. They think about an extra package. So that's the reason I mean. If you believe that somebody could even be saved in the first place without having the Spirit of God, it would not be so big of a deal for you to be able to say, oh, the Spirit of God will leave him at some point and come into him at some point. But when you understand that this Spirit of God is really the reason or is the essence of this person being a believer, you would never understand that once the Spirit is no longer there, this person is now there. He's dead spiritually. So he can't be a believer anymore. That's the reason Spirit of God cannot be coming and going. And I said, and I also try to use John for example, to explain that when he says that I will give you the spirit forever, and the spirit of God will, will be with you forever. That pay attention by the spirit of God being with you, it doesn't mean the spirit of God will be in your surrounding and be floating around. As I said before, he's not a ghost. When you understand the spirit of God really is the activities, you can only understand the spirit of God through men. Let me just put it that way. You can't understand the spirit of God just by mere activity. That you just did something happen out of this, out of random without a man, and you call it the spirit of God. No, that can be an activity of an angel, but not the spirit of God. When you say the spirit of God, man has to be involved. Man, so when you understand that, you understand why when Jesus said the spirit of God will be with you forever, you need to understand it could only have made sense within or around them. It's not that the Spirit of God will just be upon the earth, all right, and then any man that is not ready to receive him, he went down. You understand? And stuff like that. No. You need to understand. If, as I said before, if any man decide, if a man, or if there are no believers on the earth, what that will just simply mean is that the Spirit of God will not exist upon the earth. And that's not the parish. Because, I mean, at the end of the day, the, spirit, the earth is not the only um, sphere of existence. There is heaven. God is still present. If the Spirit of God is not upon the earth, it doesn't change the fact that God exists. God is still exists. The only thing is just is not present or his activity as it were cannot be seen through men upon the earth. That's just what that is. Okay. Don't let me go into more complicated explanations of that. Let me just stop there. All right. Now I tell all of those things to just barely just let me say one thing. Really, that the spirit of God in a man, the first this first activity of the spirit of God in a man is what? Is salvation. Let's just just come back there so you don't get too lost. The first activity of the Spirit of God in the man is salvation. Okay, now let's go to something. Let's see some things quickly. <clears throat> and you see, in fact, I think I said this last week, I'm going to say it again. It will not be a reach to therefore say that all that God gave in the work of salvation was the Spirit. All that God gave in the work of salvation was the Spirit. All that man now has, are we together, in Christ Jesus, or what we call our in Christ realities, we have those things because the Spirit of God indwells us. 
So the Word of God is not one of those packages. It's not that you have righteousness, sanctification, so on and so forth. Then you have the Holy Spirit. No. You have the Holy Spirit. That is the reason you have all those things. You have the Holy Spirit. That is the reason you are a son. That is really what makes you a son. Because pay attention. In John 14, verse 2, all right, in my father's house, all right, are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. And already explained that what he was saying is that in my father's household, there are many spaces or there are many rooms. You, there are many, you know, open slots. Let me just put it that way. There are many slots in my father's household. I can fix you up into one of them. And how does he fix you up into one of those slots? By going to the Father to give you the Spirit. Because by him giving you the Spirit, all right, he is now in union with you. And because he's in union with you and he's in union with the Father, you are now in union with the Father. That was the reason why Jesus said, in that day you will know, all right, that I am in the Father and he in him. And, okay, I'm in the Father and him in me and I in you. So in other words, he's trying to say, listen, it's a union game. The moment you are where I am or the moment you are in union with me, because I'm in union with the Father, you are now in union with the Father. That's what it is. So his way of creating a space for you, all right, was to make the Spirit available to you as well. Because the moment you have the Spirit, you are now where he is. And because you are now where he is, you are now a part of God's household. So the Spirit really is the essence of salvation. As, as a function of salvation, what we have is the Spirit of God indwelling man. It is now within that Spirit you have everything that man has. Oh, yeah. Oh. It's within that Spirit you have everything that man has. And now, this one, look at 1 Corinthians 6 and verse 9. Oh, thank you, Jesus. 1 Corinthians 6. 1 Corinthians 6 and verse 9. Oh, shut up, man. I can't believe you have been in the bounces. 1 Corinthians 6 and verse 9. Oh, shop and make a paradigm. First Corinthians 6 and verse 9. Now pay attention to this. It says, Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? It says, Be not deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor build themselves to mankind, nor thieves, nor conversions, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. Now pay attention to verse 11. And if you can read it where you are, just read it aloud. He says, I'm sought with some of you, but you are what you are sanctified, you are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. I oh glory to Jesus. He says, Sought with some of you, not with some of you, but you are sanctified, you are justified, you are washed in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God, by the Spirit of the Lord. Now, pay attention to something. The name of the Lord Jesus, I've told you guys this again and again, doesn't refer to the words J-E-S-U-S, no. The name of the Lord Jesus refers to his authority upon the resurrection. When we say the name of Jesus, all right, what we actually are referring to is the authority. I told you the word name is the word in the Greek, onoma. It refers to authority. Because if the name really is J-E-S-U-S, then we are in for a big shock. Because I mean, there's a football player whose name is Jesus, or you know, G I think it's J Jesus in spelling, but you know, in pronunciation it's called Jesus or something like that. Now, such a person, if you need to say that Jesus is the name, all right, that we're actually referring to, every time probably when his name is called on the pitch, you have a thunder upon the pitch. Just and there's a problem. Or better still, maybe for example, if the Yoruba woman was gonna pray and she said, Lord God, Jesus. Yes, now you will now say, Ah, the spirit of God has done something, new. but because the spelling is not correct, it's just as for J E S U. There's still an S remaining. God can't do anything. No, 
You've gotten it wrong. Because when we say the name of Jesus, we are actually referring to the authority received upon the resurrection. And that's the reason why it's really not dimension. It's really not dimension. And as you, you see, the people who go to that, at the mention of the name of Jesus, that's not what the Bible says. Bible says at the name of Jesus, meaning at the authority, by, by you just banking upon the authority and cause things to happen. This is the reason why in certain times you hear, for example, there's a man called Ali, such a mighty healing minister. Do you know when ALM is to cast out devils? Sometimes you get into services and say ALM is here. And demons begin to check out without saying a word. All he has to say is ALM is here. And demons begin to check out. Why is that possible? Because he has a consciousness of the authority of the resurrection. You really don't have to speak a word. For example, I and I like to watch Pastor Pastor Christian actually make healing, healing stream. And you see, sometimes in his meetings, he doesn't even speak so much when he's casting out demons, all right, or when he's laying hands on the sea. He just says out now. He doesn't have to say out in the name of Jesus because he's saying that out because of the authority of the resurrection that Jesus Christ has. So even though he didn't say in the name of Jesus, he means in the name of Jesus. So it's not just about what you say, it's what you mean. It's what you mean. So you must understand when you lay hands on the sick, you lay hands on the sick. You need to understand. It's not about you saying the name of and that's the reason, reason why you find people who will say in the name of Jesus from today to tomorrow and nothing will happen. And you find another man who does not say a word and you see healings happen. Why? Because one meant the authority, the other did not. So one man can be saying in the name of Jesus, the name of Jesus, the name of Jesus, and he's not doing anything. That's the reason why I mean at the end of the day, look at those seven sons of Skipper. All right, those seven sons of Skipper that wanted to cast out a demon. And it's like in the name of Jesus who Paul, who Paul and you know, in the name of Jesus who Paul preached. The issue was, it's not that the name of Jesus, as per the authority of Jesus, is not potent. It's that they did not understand what they were saying. So, they, and I mean, don't forget, these people understood that name means authority, because it's the Greek. So, they knew that they were referring to authority, but because they did not have access to that authority, they were not safe. They didn't, they didn't, they, they were not safe, they did not understand what the authority is about. So, they could not use it. And so, that's why he beat them mercilessly. Mercilessly, he rubbished them, because they did not understand the authority with which they were speaking. And that's also the reason why another, another man, Peter, Bible says aprons were taken from him and it was laid upon the sick and they were healed. Without him saying a word, just aprons, they took handkerchiefs from his clothes. And by taking handkerchiefs from his clothes, six were healed. How come? Because there was a consciousness of authority. I, a consciousness of authority. And you see, this is one of the reasons I know. See, listen, that there are certain things that cannot happen to me. I'm walking in authority. I'm working about it. You need to understand. The reason you, you reason, see, that, you know, an accident will not happen to you. Or God forbid, even if it does, you won't be harmed. It's not because in the middle of the accident, you now shout the name of Jesus. No. It's because there is a consciousness of authority. You don't, you don't need to say it. It's there. It is with you. It's a consciousness of authority. It's a consciousness of authority. A consciousness of the name. Whether or not you say it, it is potent. I. It is potent. That's the reason why when you pray in tongues, you have to pray in tongues and say, in the name of Jesus, in name of Jesus. No, no, no. The tongues itself is upon the authority of the resurrection. So it's not about saying the name of Jesus. It's about meaning it. Meaning the authority of the resurrection. That's what it is. So you can lay your hands on the sick, not say a single word, but you mean it by the authority of Jesus. And no one can lay his hands and he doesn't know the name of Jesus. And he doesn't even understand what he's actually invoking. You are invoking all of the power of God in heaven and earth. I, oh God. That's what you do. When you refer to the name of Jesus, you are referring to all of God's power that raised him up from the dead. Let's see him at the right hand of God in the heavenly places. 
And I've told you guys this before that the greatest display of God's power you see in mankind is the raising up of Jesus from the dead. Because you need to understand Jesus is God as a man. He takes all of God to raise, God, raise up God from the dead. That's really what happened. I hope you know that when Jesus Christ died, all right, and was raised from the dead, he literally that was God as a man being raised from the dead. He takes all of God to raise up God from the dead. I'm, I'm going to say that again. So it's the same thing. He takes all of God to raise up God from the dead. So listen, the greatest display of power you ever see in scripture, the greatest, and I mean the greatest, it's not if, the greatest display of power you see is not in the passing of the Red Sea. I'm telling you, it's not. As great as the passing of the Red Sea was, it is infinitely testimony significant. I'm telling you, extremely insignificant to what happened in Christ Jesus. Extremely, extremely insignificant. What you see in Jesus being raised from the dead is the greatest display of power in scripture. And guess what? That power is working in the believer today. I is working in the believer today. That same exact power, the same exact power by which Jesus was raised up from the dead, set, set to be at the right hand of the Father for eternity. Ah, set to be at the right hand of the Father for eternity. Bible says in Hebrews 7, it says he has ordained him to be an high priest after, you know, after an order that exists forever, after eternal order, he cannot die. So you see, by that same authority which we know, or by that same confidence with which we know that Jesus cannot die, that same authority is what is resident in the believer. And that is how the believer lives his life. So it's not about whether you say it or not. It's where you are. It's where you exist. You are in authority. Hey, ah, yeah, yeah. You are in authority. You exist in authority. That's your sphere of existence. You are within authority. Now, the question is whether or not you know that you are within authority. It's whether or not you know. You know, I, I was in a movie. I was in a movie um, a couple of days ago. So it was just very random. I'm finding out, you know, an African magic movie. And you think, oh, that's not a positive kind of thing. One may have seen, not all other people have seen. All right. And so, you know, in that movie, there was this man, you know, a native doctor, right? And then, you know, I, I just saw how people would just come to meet him. And then, like, if man, people would just come to meet him and then they would say that they want this and want that. And it's not happened that way. A man, you no, know, upon the earth, Using um, working with you know lesser God who really are demon working with them and somebody somebody can just come and say that um Baba I want to be I want to work in I don't know so and so company as the maybe MD or something like that and they will say no problem don't worry and he will do it there was something about watching that just made me realize Jesus like what how does how does a natural human like how does somebody with lesser gods have so much confidence that he can believe that he can make something happen. So much so that he told them, he said, don't worry, I'll do it. And that's why it happened. And when he did it, ah, there was something about it that I saw that just changed. It made me see things in a different light. The authority of the resurrection, I have creative power. I can I can literally tell people, go and relax, no problem. That will be fixed. Go. Because that is the authority that you carry. You can manipulate things upon the earth. Is the authority of the resurrection is the greatest power ever known. There has never been a power that has existed greater. There will never be a power that will exist greater. It is the power of the resurrection. It causes things to happen. It causes things to happen. That is the Holy Ghost indwelling the believer. Do not forget. When I've, I mean, I've done an analysis of that word before to some of you. The, the words that, that are in Ephesians 1 and verse 19. Those words are the greatest words used, used for power ever. Put together in a particular verse. The greatest word. I personally believe Paul did not know what to say anymore. 
He was looking for ways to explain the power. He could not see words to use. So he just he just put different words of power in the same verse. That's the only explanation. Because how do you say exceeding greatness of his power? Was also believe according to the working of his mighty power. So he said it again and again and again. He did not know how to explain it. It was so great. That's the way the power of God is at work in a man that has the spirit of God. So you need to realize that, see, again and again, the way you know, I, the way you know that you have access to the power of God is the spirit of God. That's how you know. That you have access to the power of God. The very power of God is the spirit of God. So do not forget, in fact, that the spirit of God is the power of God. So that spirit that raised up Jesus from the dead dwells in you. And that is how you know that the power of God raised up Jesus from the dead. And that same power dwells in you. They are one and the same, both of them. And they are in you. They are in you. Glory to God. They are in you. Okay? <clears throat> now, I said the first question, it says, you are what you are sanctified, you are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the spirit of our God. So in the name of the Lord Jesus, it's not that you are what you are and justified inside, like in the JNSUS. No. You are what sanctified and justified by the authority of Jesus. And how did you come to receive of that provision by the spirit of our God? So when he says in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the spirit of our God, he's not referring to two different things. Really, it's one and the same. By the authority of the resurrection, all right, and by the spirit of God by which you became a recipient of that authority, you've been what sanctified and justified. So, your walking, your sanctification, and your justification is solely predicated upon the fact that, number one, Jesus is raised from the dead, and he has authority. That's the name of our Lord Jesus. And the, the, access by, the access that you have to be a recipient of what he has made available upon the resurrection is the Spirit. So, that's why it says, in the name of the Lord Jesus, and by the Spirit of our God. So, the Spirit of our God is how you became a recipient. The name of the Lord Jesus is how that provision was made available in the first place. So, sanctification, working, justification, forgiveness of sins, so on and so forth. All those things were done by the resurrection. They were made available in the resurrection. It's because of the resurrection that man is free from sin. That's how forgiveness of sin is made available. So it's made available. That's how justification from sin is made available. That's how sanctification is made available. Because Jesus Christ was raised from the dead. All those things that you have, sanctification, justification, righteousness, so on and so forth, were made available because of the resurrection. But you see, the way man has man can become a recipient of all those things made available is by the Spirit. And that's the reason why we say in Acts 2, verse 13, pay attention. So when Jesus was speaking, he says, I'm sorry, when Peter was speaking, and he says, having been, um, um, therefore being at the right hand of God, exalted, Right? When Jesus rose from the dead, he did it as a man. He did it as one person. You need to understand it very clearly. All right. The way we can benefit from what Jesus did is the giving of the Spirit. So if Jesus had died, was buried, and rose again from the dead, but did not give us the Spirit. Of the truth, he would have died and would have been buried and would have risen again. But you won't be able to call it salvation for all mankind. The reason it can become salvation for all mankind is totally because he gave his spirit. Because he gave his spirit, we can now by that spirit. You know, be attached to everything he did. So the spirit is the connection, and that's the reason I told you that's how you were baptized, and that's you know what baptism is. Baptism is identification. I mean, I'm going to be talking about that a lot more. This starts again in Lagos. Baptism really is identification. All right. So it is by the spirit that you are baptized into the work of Christ, and that's the reason why you see in First Corinthians twelve and verse thirteen. Go there. First Corinthians twelve. First Corinthians twelve and verse thirteen. My God, that is one more. First Corinthians twelve. 
and verse 13. That's the last from the second. He says, For by one spirit, pay attention to that. For by one spirit are you all baptized. Look, use the word identified. All right. Identified, immersed. For by one spirit are you all immersed. For by one spirit are you all identified into one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be slave, whether we be bond of free, that slave of free, and have all been made to drink into one spirit. So can you see that? So by the spirit of God, where you identify with the body of Christ. You see, and that's what I'm saying again and again. The only way you can know a believer that someone is actually a believer in Christ Jesus is that he has the spirit of God in him. You see, the moment he, ha- he doesn't have the spirit of God in him anymore, you can say it confidently, this person is not saved. That's simply what it is. If he has, that's why you need to understand what you are saying. You cannot say a believer doesn't have the Holy Ghost. You can't. You can't say it. A believer doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't make any sense. It's like saying this man doesn't have the breath of life. That's clearly what you are saying. It does not exist. It can't happen. A believer can only be a believer because they have the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost is not something you begin to receive at some point or you receive at certain, with certain bits. No, you receive them at the, at the point of salvation. That is even how you got saved. It wasn't salvation than the Holy Ghost. Salvation is the presence of the Holy Ghost. That is, so the moment you believe you have to confess your mother, Lord Jesus, all right, and then you confess the resurrection from the dead. At that point in time, it was the Holy Ghost that made you do those things. And that is how you got saved. You need to understand. So it is not some prize you receive after some years in salvation. All right. It is what it is by it is the agency by which you become saved, the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost is an agency by which a man is saved. So the conversation of salvation is the conversation of the Holy Ghost. It's the conversation of the Holy Ghost. You see also in Galatians 5, verse 6. Galatians 5, verse 6. It says, and because you are sons, God has shed forth the spirit of his son into your heart right now, Father. So that spirit is the confidence by which you know you are a son. Romans chapter 8, from verse 14 to, from verse 14 to 17. All right, it is as many as the led by the spirit of God, they are the sons of God. All right, in verse 15, it says, And you have received not the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption to sonship, by which you cry out, Abba Father. Now, verse 16, it says, The spirit bears witness with our spirits that we are the sons of God. So that's how we know the spirit bears witness with our spirits that we are the sons of God. That's how you know you're a son of God because the spirit is there. That's the confidence you have of being the son of God because the spirit is there. He says, the spirit bears in our spirit that we are the sons of God. Now pay attention to verse 17. He says, and if sons then head, heads of God and joint heads with Christ. So in other words, the reason we are joint heads with Christ, the reason we have received the inheritance that Christ has made available, pay attention, is because of what? It's because of the spirit of God given to us. So the spirit of God is that agency by which we are recipients or partakers of the gift of the resurrection. That's it. So if the spirit of God was not given, or the truth, the resurrection would have been done, we would not have been able to receive of it. The way we can receive of it is because the Holy Ghost has been given. That's what I'm trying to say again and again. So you must understand how important it is we have the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost is the baptism. That's what it is. The Holy Ghost is the baptism. And this is the reason I'm not going to say this now. And I know we're going to talk about it a lot better. On Saturday, the baptism of the Holy Ghost is salvation. The baptism of the Holy Ghost is not bringing it down. That is being filled with the Holy Ghost. But you see, the baptism of the Holy Ghost, what it means to be baptized with the Holy Ghost, in the Holy Ghost, by the Holy Ghost, is salvation. Because really, baptism of the Holy Ghost, when you understand what the word baptism means, it means identification with the Holy Ghost, or identification by the Holy Ghost, or identification with the Holy Ghost. That is salvation. It's not a different thing. 
And now you can have questions, of course. Ah, but this place, but this place, don't worry. I'm not talking about that thing. Don't ensure you without tuning, you don't, I mean, you without tuning, all right. If I ensure you tuning, there's no either. <laughs> ensure you tuning, or you are there basically. Because I'm going to do a very exhaustive study on it. All right. So, really, the baptism of the Holy Ghost is salvation. I'm thinking of this to not drive it again to your mind again and again and again. That when we speak of the Holy Ghost, we refer to salvation. We refer to salvation because this actually predicates everything you see. The moment you understand, see that this Holy Ghost thing or this Holy Ghost is as much a second nature to me as it's a salvation. You know, you cannot when you see a man being saved, you can't really separate him from his salvation. They are fixed, they are interfused together, they are one and the same. That is the way it is with the Holy Ghost and the believer. When you understand this, you understand how image the spiritual gifts are, are, are to the believer. They are not separate. When you speak of the things of the spirit, you need to see the things of the spirit as the best right of the believer. And yeah, yeah. The things of the spirit, therefore, are not they are not random parcels that God gives based on how happy he is with you. So, for example, you've been doing good, and God looks at and says, Oh my god, my friend, what of knowledge? Well, I can find word of wisdom, but you've, you've been a bad boy recently. So, because you've been a bad boy, my point word of knowledge, all right. But what of wisdom right now? Oh, Lenny, then I'm going to give you uh, angel and angel Gabriel, Shani, tongues and leg. What about descending of spirits? Okay, I need leg. Okay, no problem. Just give him, give him about two doses of that. Come on, Loju. Just, just about two. No, that's not how it is. You need to understand because of salvation, because salvation really. Right, is a conversation of the spirit of God. So, as innate as salvation is, is how innate the spirit of God is, and that's how innate the activities of the spirit of God are. So, how do you flow in the things of the spirit like someone that is breathing? Hey, hey, yeah, yeah. You flow in the things of the spirit like as though you are breathing. You know, you don't, you don't, you don't breathe consciously. You, you don't wake up in the morning and say, Ah, I'm going to breathe now. Oh, yeah, it's your get ready, get ready, you're about to breathe. Oh, yeah, breathe in. Out. Mm -hmm. that, that's not what you do. How do you breathe? You breathe. You don't breathe. And then, in fact, the day you become conscious of your breathing, then there becomes a problem. So you know what I'm saying. The day you now be begin to intentionally breathe, you almost kill yourself. Because you when you it's you are like a fish in water when you are breathing. That's the same way it is with the Holy Ghost. When you are praying, this of the spirit, this is that's your nature. So when I play words of knowledge, I'm not being super something. That is me. Hey, yeah, yeah. So that's the reason I can just I cannot be walking on the road. And a vision comes to me. It's not because at that point in time, you know, God wants to do something in me beyond the natural. No, that is my natural. My very natural, my very natural is that I walk in vision. I walk, I walk in sight and sound. That's how I am. I'm telling you, every single time is there. Every single time is there. Now, what happens when, for example, I pray in tongues, all right, so that I can get a vision, I can get a word or so on and so forth. I'm doing those things to just become more conscious of it. It's not that it was not there. The tongues does not bring the information. No. I told you guys before that the, the reason is called tongues and interpretation. In other words, that which you speak as interpretation, you already spoke in tongues. So, for example, when you say, you speak in tongues and then you give somebody a word, it's not as though the word was not there and because you spoke in tongues, it was you talking to God, God then God now said his own back and I gave you the word. You know, that's what we think it is. We think when we speak in tongues, we are communicating something to God. Then God now hears us and I say, okay, no problem. That's nice. Then he now says his own back. Then what he said to you back is the word. Ah, you got it wrong. That's not how it works. The way it really works is this. That word you gave, you already gave it. The moment you gave, because that's what it's called interpretation of tongues. Interpretation of tongues is that what you said in tongues, you now say it in words that people can understand. And that's how it becomes a word of knowledge to somebody. In other words, the moment you spoke in tongues spontaneously, you spontaneously spoke for the word in tongues. 
So by you not speaking it in interpretation, you just change the language of speaking it from what the person could not hear to what they could hear. So when you spoke in tongues, you didn't speak in tongues so that God will be alert and now tell you something that you can tell the person no. You spoke in tongues to become conscious of the activity of the spirit within and to express it to others. That's what you did. Ah, oh, yeah, yeah. So this is see if you can understand this, you understand how easy it is to flow in any of the things of the spirit. Any, any. The same way you can kick start tongues, you can kick start every single activity of the spirit. Every single, and I remember I said this to people other times. I said the proof that you can flow in any gift of the spirit is that you can speak in tongues. If you can speak in tongues, you can flow in any every single one. I'm telling you, the disparity is in your mind. The disparity is in your mind. The disparity is not in the gift itself, it's in your mind. Your mind has been conditioned to see certain things certain way. When you see all of them as in the spirit, and you know you have the spirit, it changes it. So now you're going to see the gifts not by the gift in itself, but by the source of the gift, which is the spirit. And if the spirit indwells me, I have access to what? That also answers the question of can a believer do this one? Can believer, you know how many gifts can a believer have? You're getting this wrong. That's not the point. The question is, does the believer have the spirit? If he has the spirit, and all the gifts are present in the spirit. He has them all. Now, that he has them all doesn't mean he will use them all. He will only use them all if he becomes conscious of them all. If the only thing you are conscious of is tongues, it's only tongues you will use. And you keep, you keep using tongues alone. But the day you become conscious of healing, you begin to heal. The day you become conscious of this one, you begin to... And also because, I mean, these things of the spirit also work based on need. If you don't come across a man that needs healing, how do you use the gift of healing? It's not by and, and the gift of healing don't work like bank alerts. It's not like the moment you have gift of healing, then you get a message on your phone. Toto, you can now begin to use healing. No, that kind of thing. No, that's the only way it works. The way it works, the only way you really know that you have the gift of healing is that there's a sick person, you pray for the person, and because the person becomes healed. That's how it is. It's simply that. All right. And so you need to understand that the gift of the spirit also, because I mean, I've heard the very, very funny about the gift of the spirit and so on and so forth. E even if you even if you pray to let's even say, let's even for one minute agree that. Okay, you pray to God to receive the gifts. Fine. Let's say you actually pray to God. And God now gives you the gift of healing. How will you know you have the gift if you don't pray for the sick? How will you know? Oftentimes than not, when people pray for the gift of healing, in that sense, and then they begin to flow in healing, what just happened is that they became conscious of it. They think it was at that point in time God gave them no. It's just that, that their prayer began to make them more conscious of the healing gift. But notice that even if God did really give them at that point because of their prayer, if they don't pray for the sick, they will not know they have the gifts. So at the end of the day, what validates the presence of the gift is a need, not that God gave it. Ah, oh God. Hey, yeah, yeah. What validates the presence of the gift is the need that needs to be met, not that God gave it. That's it. So if at, even if at the end of the day, God gave you a word of knowledge, if you never speak a word of knowledge, you will never really know you have it. So at the end of the day, whether you believe it was, whether you believe that it was when you are praying to it, praying to God that God gave you, or you believe that it was always present there, the way we will know that you actually have the word, gift of word of knowledge is that when a need comes around that you need to understand or get by words of knowledge, you can give it out. You can. So oftentimes I know the problem, the problem with most people is that they think that what they should be doing is asking God for the gifts. When in reality, what they should be doing is seeking avenues for expression. Ah, oh God. Taking a very special, do you realize that there was never a place in the entire Old Testament scripture? If Old Testament is even so far, there was never a place in the Acts of the Apostles. There's never a place we find throughout the entirety of the epistles where the apostles told people to pray that God should give them spiritual gifts. Never, not one single place. Why? Because that was never a point of prayer. 
There are more important things to pray. You don't pray that God gives you spiritual gifts. He has given you. You don't pray for God to give you tongues like you have done as well as well. He has given you. What to pray for rather are avenues to use those things. That's what he is. And I have told you again and again that I don't think it's necessary to pray, all right, to, you know, pray for, you know, in that sense that, you know, as, as God's word is taught, it's still revealed and so on and so forth. No, no. Because the reality of it is if you preach the word as you should and you come across a sick person, if you put out the word as you should, all right, with boldness and confidence upon the word, that person will be healed. I'm telling you, that person is going to be healed. So what you pray for rather, all right, is that you open up yourself to an atmosphere of God's power. There are God's word is taught, there are expressions of power, that you are conscious of it. You are not praying so that, you know, the power of God will now come, then you will now do something. Let me tell you something. Listen, if you were not conscious of the healing power of God, you will never see a healing in your administration. I'm telling you. Even if you see such things, it's only because by clear providence of God, that person, all right, was ready to receive of the healing power of God. But if the person preaching, is not preaching the word without believing in the healing power of God, the other person who is not trying to receive of the healing power of God, they are just oblivious of healing. They will keep preaching the word and there will be no healing. I'm telling you, and it will be the same word. And they will be preaching it and there will be no healing. Nothing will going to happen. But you see, the moment you become conscious of power, the moment you become conscious of power, and you begin to say with confidence, as I speak for this word, power that power is coming forth, and things are changing. As you say those very words, I'm telling you, there are flows of power like never before. That's how it works. The things of the spirit work with consciousness. It works with consciousness like that. So whether or not you say it, all right, whether or not you say the name of Jesus, whether or not you say by the authority of Jesus, you mean it. You mean it. As I say these words, words of knowledge are coming forth. As you say those things and you mean them, those things begin to happen. Because you see, they are the very nature of the man in Christ. The man in Christ exists within them. He dwells in them. That's how it is. So, from now on, when you talk about the things of the Spirit, which we are not going to delve into, all right, in our subsequent um, tracks in this series, as we talk about the things of the Spirit, I want to have a mindset towards them. They are not, they are not um, different pastors that you are receiving after the resurrection. They are not, you know, God is giving you pastor one, pastor two, pastor three. That's not it. They are actually activities you have because you are in Christ. So just as, for example, when I'm in Christ Jesus, I when, sorry, when I'm alive, I don't receive the ability to urinate. Then I'm not, then I'm not receiving different from the ability to eat. Then I'm receiving different from the ability to breathe. Then from the ability to see, ability to hear, so on and so forth. That's not what it is. Because I am human, I have those abilities there. So the abilities are actually, they, they are a part of being human. That's the way the gifts are. The gifts are not pastors you receive after you are saved. They are actually byproducts of you being saved. So, because you are saved, you now have this activity. So, how do you have tongues because you are saved? How do you have intervention of tongues because you are saved? How do you have words of knowledge because you are saved? And how can you express these things? As simple as it is to live out you being human. Just the simple way you don't make, you don't intentionally breathe. In the simple way, you don't have to intentionally get words of knowledge. I'm telling you. You by your own or your own, you can just hear and know. You just you just you just all it takes is consciousness. You just have to know that you can. That's it. Why do you have to know that you can? Because it's simple. For the for the most of your life, you've been trained to do things in your natural senses. And because you've been trained to do things in your natural senses, the things of the spirit are not normal to you. And that's the reason why you have to be conscious of them. But there's also a reason, and that's also why when you become conscious of things of spirit again and again. You begin to do them unconsciously. 
Because as you do the things of the spirit, much in fact, I'm, as I'm speaking right now, I'm speaking my spirit of God. As you do the things of the spirit, much more consciously, you begin to open up yourself to much more unconscious flows of power, much more unconscious flows of the spirit. That's actually how it works. So just as for a very long time, you giving yourself to activity in the natural, activity in the sensual, and it has caused you to act in certain ways. You can rewire your mind, you can rewire your flow to do the, to do the things of the spirit much more consciously. For in that conscious flow of power, done continually again and again, you begin to have much more conscious flows, much more unconscious flows of visions, much more unconscious flows of hearing by the Holy Ghost, much more unconscious flows of speaking by the Holy Ghost, much more unconscious flows of, of you know, knowing by the Holy Ghost. You know, I said to my spirit, there's someone here, all right, just within this week, you start sending, you know, sending clips of men of God, and then you send in your heart, how would I be ever able to do things like this? How are activities like this even possible for a man? Will I ever get to a point where I can do these things? You see, the Spirit of God will have me let you know. You are at that point already. You are where you need to be, all right, to do the things that you want to do. Why? Not because you are in a special disability class. Not because you know certain people. But only because you are in Christ. You are in the Spirit. You are in salvation. And because you are in those things, those abilities that you convert are actually available to you. So do not convert to have them. Begin to convert to express them. Begin to try to put yourself in avenues or places where you can express those things. And expect to have those demonstrations following. Initially, they might not always look like it. Why? Because you train your senses in natural again and again. But you see, as you give yourself to activities of the spirit again and again, particularly in tongues, as you let your mouth revel on the abilities and power of the Holy Ghost through tongues, you will see a much more clear flow, all right? A much more bigger expression of the things of the spirit. Again and again and again. So yield. Yield. Yield to tongues. Yield to power. Yield to sight. Yield to sounds. Yield to the things of the supernatural. Yield, yield, yield. Keep yielding. As you do those things, you'll see much more conscious flows beyond that. Beyond that. You know, I sense by the spirit that there's someone here, all right, your mom um, has been having a pain in her knee for a while now. She's not having a pain in her knee. And, you know, you, you, you didn't take it very seriously initially because you just said, oh, well, I mean, She's she's old, she's older, she's not old actually, she's older, all right. And then you just expect that I mean over time certain things will just come, all right. But this pain has been there again and again. And in fact, as I'm telling you right now, it's beginning to occur to you that this is actually this pain has actually been there for a while. It wasn't it wasn't a big deal to you before, but now it's becoming you're like you're, you're losing it now. This pain has actually been there, right? You see, in the name of Jesus, that pain is gone. By the power of the Holy Ghost, that pain is gone. By the ministry of God's angels, I speak to that pain now. And I command that pain to go now in the name of Jesus. That pain is gone by the power of God's spirit. Oh, glory to Jesus. Glory to God. Glory to Jesus. You know, I, 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 see, I see the vision of, um, of someone like an older brother or an uncle who is currently going through some sort of thing around their job. I, I cannot place what exactly it is. It's either the person, you know, needs to find a job or the person is in a particular job that he has been for a while now. It's like there's a sort of stagnancy. I can't, I can't really place what it is, but it's like there's some sort of stagnancy for him, all right? But I see that it's like he's, he's, he's either an older brother, all right, or he's an uncle, all right, to you, all right? And in the name of Jesus, I speak against that stagnancy by the power of the Holy Ghost. In the name of Jesus, I come against it by God's power. And in the name of Jesus, I begin to speak for, I begin to see opportunities of favor surrounding him. 
in the name of Jesus. And now listen to him. Listen to me. This is what you need to tell the person. Now it doesn't matter whether or not you are close to the person. This is God's word to the person. Pay attention to this. Tell the person to become open to opportunities. I'm telling you. Because see, a lot of times opportunities can surround people, but because they are used to living their life the same way, they cannot maximize these opportunities. Tell him to pay attention to opportunities that come around, particularly in the next two weeks to one more. All right, you will begin to have some business proposition for some of his friends. He should not be scared to jump into them. All right, there are some opportunities that will just come around that will come around him, not one. That's how we know it's by the power of the Holy Ghost. It's not going to be one, it's going to be something that you're going to have to pick among them. But here is the beautiful thing about God those of all of them are valuable. I'm telling you, every single one of them. If he has to pick between one of them, he can pick. If he wants to do all of them, he should do every single one of them will profit him. That's the word of God to him. All right, so just give God praise wherever you are. Don't give him glory. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father, for your power. Thank you, Father, for your power. Oh, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Such a good God. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father. Oh, Shapanigo Balamateluati Venegabeliata. Thank you, Lord. Masto Pratigo Bandelebediati Burugundo Venegadila Batis. Thank you, Jesus. Macumba Rati Mandibe Estus Upelia Tabali from Dega Peligo. The Jopradaga Venego Palamatria de Venego Palamata. Thank you, Lord. Masoko Pandelegabiati, Lutran the Stebel, the Kilo Parana de Monte, Lecus, the Vendiga Parati Mandibe, Estusupenega, Metro, the Banya, the Stebel, the Gadigo, Rotanda, Sigidibidigo, Managadabanagabanagabanagabanagabanagabanagabanagabanagabanagabanagabanagabanagabanagabanagabanagabanagabanagabanagabanagabanagabanagabanagabanagabanagabanagabanagabanagabanagabanagabanagabanagabanagab